Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au If you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 6, reading from verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, reading from verse 6. The Bible says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's pray. Father, we just love your word. We love the fact that your word is so practical and it has something to say about our lives. Not only how we live our lives here today, but also in eternity. I pray this word would speak to us today. Let there be nothing in me that hinders the delivery of this word. Let our ears be open, hungry to hear a word from you. Find every spirit of fear and intimidation, Lord God. Let your gifts be in operation even as I share today. It's not about our glory, Lord. This is about your glory. Be glorified this morning. Let our eternal destinies be changed because of what happens here today, because of the decisions that we make today. This is our prayer and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're in a series entitled The Power of Margins as we look at uh, restoring margins in our lives. One of the most obvious examples of a margin uh, is in a book um, or on computer in a Word document. Uh, What makes a book or an article easy to read is the fact that it has margins. Everybody understand what a margin is? You get a book. Okay, you got margin. Okay. Can you imagine if uh, the words were printed right to the edge of a page? You know, right to the left and to the right and the top and the bottom, small print. It would just make it a lot more difficult to actually read the article or read the book. It would be a lot more stressful. So, so many of us are living so close to the edge. We're so busy, we're rushed all the time. And because of that, we're always stressed. And it's affecting how we live our lives. It's affecting the well-being in our lives. In fact, we're the most exhausted, tired, empty generation ever. Key verse for this series is found in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, or you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'm not tired of reading the scripture. In fact, every time I read it, it just, it just, it's like oil. It just, it just, I just feel good reading it. It's Jesus who's saying to you and to me, he's saying, it's come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, 
And I'm sure that if we, we're all honest with ourselves, we all have a degree of weariness and, and, and we're carrying some burdens. Probably we were, we were never called to actually carry. And Jesus says, if you're weary and burdened, just come to me. And one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to show you a way of life that's actually going to help you to experience something called rest. Last week, we briefly looked at developing margin in our time. Today, I want to speak about developing margin in our finance. We define the concept of margins as the difference between what you have and what you need in the area of finance. That would mean if you earn $2,000 a week and you, or a month or whatever it is, and you're spending $1,500, then there's $500 margin. Okay, you've got $2,000, you spend $1,500, $500 a margin. If you're earning $2,000 and you spend $2,000, how much money, how much margin have you got? Please help me out here. How much margin? you got $2,000, you spend $2,000. How much margin have you got? None, zero. Yep, you guys are amazing. And if you earn two thousand and you spend two thousand five hundred dollars, what have you got? You got trouble. That's what you got. You got serious, serious, serious trouble. And you might get away with it in a week, or you might get away with it in two weeks. But sooner or later, you're going to be in trouble. The reality is, we're living in a world today where financial stress is normal. Where credit card debt is high, buy today, pay tomorrow. We make it really easy for you. Just put it on the credit card or, and there's this scheme or the other scheme so that you can have it now and pay for the rest of your life. Irrespective of what we earn, we're forever living financially on the edge. Now, I don't believe it's the will of God for us to live with financial stress. I don't believe that's the will of God for us. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 20. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Proverbs 21.10, reading, I'm reading from the NRSV, uh, from another translation. I love what it says. It says, precious treasure remains in the house of the wise, but the fool devours it. In other words, in the house of the wise, there are stores of choice food or food or there's, there's plenty in the cupboard or there's plenty in the bank, actually. Plenty of margin, more than enough. On the other hand, the foolish person devours everything that they have. Whatever they get, they devour it or they use it or they spend it. Would be a better translation. Notice the verse doesn't say in the house of the rich is plenty. It doesn't say in the house of the wealthy is plenty. It says in the house of the wise. Because having plenty has nothing to do with how much you earn. What has everything to do with how wise you are, with, with, with how you use what it is that you actually have. It's about wisdom and not about wealth. God, through His Word, has given us principles on how we can steward and manage, how, how we can wisely use that which God has actually given us. And when, we, and when we obey those principles, when we look at the principles of God's Word in relation to how we use our wealth, then we'll have plenty of margin in our lives. This morning I was reading Proverbs chapter 11. I'm just going through Proverbs at the moment. And it, there were three or four verses in there that spoke about how we use our, our finance. The, the Bible has so much to say about this. 
Now, you know, we don't like to talk about money in church. And, and certainly if you've ever, you know, if you've been part of this church for a long time, you know that this is not something we put a lot of emphasis on. Adrian didn't even mention the offering today, did he? I don't think he even mentioned it. I mean, where are we going? You know, <laughs> seriously. Uh, um, uh, we don't do that. But you know, the Bible talks about finance and how we should use our finance. And I believe we need to talk about it as a church. I, I believe we need to put this onto the table. Just a word of caution here. We need to be careful how we use wealth, how we talk about wealth. Um, I want to make sure that we don't get the wrong impression from Scripture that if you're poor, you're spiritual, but if you're wealthy, you're not. You know, it's, it's that somewhere, somehow like it's a sin to be wealthy. The Bible doesn't say that at all. Um, in fact, throughout the Bible, there were wealthy people that were used by God in a powerful way. What the Bible says is there is a wise way to manage our finance and there's a foolish way to manage our finances. And that's what's most important. And what the Bible teaches us is how to wisely use our money. Because when we manage our finance with wisdom, there's no stress, there's no pressure. When the fridge breaks down, the car needs new tires, the council rates are due, and it all happens in one week, which it does happen on a regular basis doesn't cause us to spin out of control. This whole subject of finance is crucial. It's important. We underestimate what financial stress does to our lives. We underestimate this. We don't take this seriously enough. We underestimate what financial does to us uh, in our own lives, in our own mind, in our own heart, what it does to marriages. One of the big three reasons, you've heard me say before, why couples divorce is because of financial stress, because they're forever living so close to the edge when it comes to their finances. And so we need to take this subject seriously. I think we need to talk about it from time to time as a church. Question is, how do we develop financial margin in our lives? So I've got four principles here that I pray are going to speak to us in relation to this whole uh, subject. And I pray that that God will speak to us today. The first principle um, is, is the principle of lordship. If we live with financial margin, we need to break the power of money. We need to break the power of money. We need to understand the problem is first and foremost a spiritual problem. When it comes to the whole subject of money, and even margins, as we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. And uh, the, the, the problem, first and foremost, is actually a spiritual problem. It's not about developing a budget, cutting up the credit cards, although that's a good thing to do, uh, reducing expenses, all of that's good and helpful. But the first thing we need to understand is that money is a counterfeit God that demands worship. We need to understand that the problem of finance or the problem of the mismanagement of our finances is first and foremost a spiritual problem that money at its core is a counterfeit God that demands to be worshipped. We spoke about this a few weeks ago. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. Either you're serving one or the other because you can't serve both. We said money presents itself like a God. It says, I can make you feel secure. I can make you feel confident, happy. I can solve a lot of your problems. And it says, the more of me you have, the happier you're going to be. And deep, deep down, we all know that's not true. We know that money can't buy happiness. We know that all the money in the world can't make us happy. Just watch the movie. Some people may say, well, is money evil? Pastor Joe, are you saying that like money is evil, that we should avoid it? No, money's not evil, 
provided it remains our servant. Money makes a great servant and a terrible master. Can I hear an amen? It's a little bit quiet in here this morning. You're making me nervous. You know, just, just turn to the person next to you and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Okay. We're doing the offering at the end of the service today, so don't stress, okay? Some of you are worried. There was no offering, uh, you know. He didn't even talk about it, you know. It's all good. Money makes a great servant, but a terrible master. Here's what Byron Moore said. If you fall for the trap of allowing money to become an identity that measures your worth, you'll pay a steep price because you can never have enough. How much money does it take to prove you are worth being liked, loved, and valued by others? When money becomes a symbol of worth, rather than simply a storehouse of wealth, it has switched places. Rather than being your servant, it is now your master. How true that is. Here's the thing with money. Money is never satisfied to just be your servant. It wants to be our master. It wants to take possession of our hearts. It wants to be worshipped. It wants our devotion. It wants to take the place of God in our hearts. And if we're going to get a right perspective of money, we first need to understand the battle that we're involved in in relation to this. And if we're not aware of the battle, then we're easily going to be deceived by it. We're easily going to be seduced by the cunning desires of wealth. Of wealth. Paul, in speaking about finances, says this. We read it in our text. It's a great scripture, which... Kind of, we could, just, we could just dive into this and break it all down. But he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. One of the greatest things that we can attain to in life is godliness. That is becoming more and more like Jesus Christ and contentment. If you can be content with what you have, it's, it's, you're in an amazing place. It's an amazing revelation to get to a place where you're grateful for what you have and content with what you have says the Apostle Paul. For we brought nothing into the world and we, can take, and we can take nothing out of it. You know, let's just pause right there. What, what, what is it that, that, that you're going to be able to take with you into the next world? Let me help you. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. And we spend our whole lives, you know, got to pay the mortgage, got to get that car, got to do, just got to get, 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 get. How much of it do we take into the next world? Zero. Zero. But if we have food and clothing and a really nice car <laughs> and an amazing house and lots of money, blah, 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 we will be content with that. Rubbish, we're not content with just food and clothing. Who's content with just food and clothing? Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many, many foolish and harmful desires and plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. It's the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. But, but you, man of God, flee from this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Notice it says it's not money, it's the love of money that leads to all kinds of ruin and destruction. I, I, love, I love the way Paul says, flee from this. Notice the language that Paul is using in relation to how we view finance. And it's using the language of sexual temptation. You don't resist sexual temptation. You run from it. You flee from it. I like what Proverbs says about sexual temptation. I'm reading it at the moment. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. 
And Paul is saying, whatever you feel yourself doing, whenever you feel yourself being drawn towards wealth or seduced by wealth, Paul is saying, run from it because the consequences can be devastating. They are ropes that can take a hold of you. It's not something that we resist. It's something that we run from because there is a pull in all of our hearts towards greed and towards having more. And when it takes a hold of our hearts, it will destroy us. Now notice the consequences. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Number one, they are tempted by all kinds of things. They don't just, they don't, they're not just tempted, they fall into temptation. It's one thing to be tempted. It's quite another thing to actually fall into it. Paul says they fall into the temptation and a trap because that's what it is. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin. I mean, it's just getting worse and worse, (laughs) isn't it? I mean, it's just, Paul is saying, listen, listen, understand how important this subject actually is. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. Listen really carefully about that. They've won, in other words, they were in the faith at one point. They were in the faith worshiping and, and glorifying God. But because of the love of money, they have slowly wandered from the faith. They didn't just one day make a decision, well, today I'm going to serve God and tomorrow I'm not. They've wandered from the faith. What does that mean? That slowly, slowly but surely, slowly but surely, they've wandered away from their faith in God. It's what money does. And pierce themselves with many griefs. It's saying run from it, whatever you do. Do not entertain the God of wealth. So if we're going to get the right perspective of finance, first we need to break the power of money. We need to see it for what it really is. It's the issue of lordship. Now, I don't care how spiritual you are. You guys are looking amazingly spiritual today. I heard you sing. You're amazing. But all of us are tempted in this. Can I, can I, can I hear just a We're all tempted in this. I'm driving my car and I'm looking at everybody else's car. You know what I mean? I've got a nice car, but you know, the other cars are nicer. You know, someone, someone comes along and, and says, oh, I've got this scheme, this scheme. And how many people have received that letter from, uh, I don't know, somewhere, uh, you know, wherever in the cloud? And some country somewhere saying, you know, there's a relative, there's $70 million they've left. Just send us your data. How many of us have gone, oh, how, many of us, how many people's heart has skipped a little beat? Come on, as, you know, when you read that letter. And you go, oh, oh, oh. And then you go, no, I know this is a deception. But there's something inside of us going, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it just be nice if this was really true? I've got a distant relative somewhere who's really, really rich. Well, my relatives are poor. But anyway, that's, that's another story. Forget that. It's not going to happen in my... I'm not going to get one of those real letters anyway. The so reality is there's a pull towards this in all of us. And we need to be careful. Of we need, this is one of the big three. You know, girls or guys, gold, Glory. The big three, one of the big three that we need to deal with. First, if we're we're going to get margin in our life, we need to break the power of money. Second thing we need to do is live counterculturally. We need to break the power of culture. We need to confront the spirit behind the culture we're living in. Make no mistake, it's a battle we fight every single day. If we don't recognize we're involved in a battle, we will be seduced by the culture we're living in. 
Culture is not passive. It's a dictator that tells us how much education we need to have, what kind of a job we should seek, what kind of a house we should live in, the car we should drive, who is beautiful and who is not. And the reality is all of us in some way or another are influenced, controlled, dominated in one way or another by the culture that we're living in. Whether you know it or not, there is the smart people who meet every single week. That's what their job is. They've gone to university to get degrees on how to do this. And they meet every single week in offices and they talk about how to convince you that your life is empty unless you drink this coffee. Unless you use this shampoo, your hair is never going to be the same. Unless you eat these hamburgers. So just do it. Swoosh. Because you're worth it. Companies spend billions of dollars on advertising because it works. People say, oh, I'm not affected by advertising. No, I'm not affected. Well, why is it that companies are spending billions of dollars on it? I tell you why they spend billions of dollars. Because they know that those images can influence your values and in turn influence how you behave. Spirit behind it is a spirit of greed and we need to be careful not to be seduced by it. A toaster is a toaster. How many people know a toaster is not just a toaster? It's either a Smeg toaster or a DeLonghi toaster or a Breville toaster or a Kmart, you know, 1999 toaster, and they're not the same. Every year there's a new model, a sleeker model, a nicer model. I just love the way the world works, you know. You know, they, they, the nicer model, there's the next model, and the next they're getting nicer. And then they go back, they start all over again. And then we're going into the retro. And then they bring back the ones that were four, four years ago, and then we start all over again. We start the cycle all over again, and then we go back. You know, the flares are in, and then the flares are out. You know what I'm saying? And then they're gone. And then we go back to the flares again. Slightly different, but there's still the flares. We just, we just go through this cycle again and again and again. Nothing wrong with nice things. But we need to be careful not to be seduced by the culture. The only way to win the battle with the culture is to wrestle with it. We're not called to be influenced by the culture. Listen really carefully. We are called to influence the culture we're living in. We're not called to be victims or passive of what's happening in our culture. We as people of God are called to influence the culture we are living in. If there's a conspiracy theory that is worth talking about, it's not about vaccines or microchips. It's that we live in a culture that is trying to get our eyes off the eternal and firmly fixed on the present. Paul says, so we fix our eyes. Not on what is seen. Just don't take that word lightly. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Fix yourselves on the eternal and you will experience joy unspeakable and full of glory. Be very careful then how you live. We, we looked at that scripture last week. Been quoting Romans 12 too every week. Let me read it to you from the TPT, the, 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 the Passion Translation. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in the eyes. 
The Bible tells us this, listen very carefully here because this is really important. The Bible tells us that we're to live in the culture, that we're called to live in the world but not be of the world. Some people think, oh, you know, if I could just be transported to an island somewhere, you know, if we, we could just live our Christian life on an island somewhere, you know, and then everything would be fine, you know. Everything would be fine until you come along, you know what I'm saying? It's not true. If I'm there, it's a mess. We're called to be, we're called to live. Jesus said, we're to live in the world, but be not of the world. And you know, there's a tension between this continuously. There's a battle between these two. There's a responsibility we have every single day, every single week, every single month, every single year to understand that what that tension represents because there's a battle between those two things. We don't want to be passive about what's happening in the world. We need to always measure what's happening in the culture against the principles of the Word of God. Because if we don't do that, then we will just become uh, passive about what's going on. We will just take on board whatever's happening around us. I grew up in a time where it was wrong to have a TV in, the, in your house. Anybody grew up in that kind of a, that kind of a, a few people grew up. You know, I didn't get a TV till I was in grade five. You know what I'm saying? I'm a year five. That's before we got a television, you know. And, um, and uh, we grew up in a church environment where the kind of the, 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 the message was really clear. Don't get a television because it's evil. Because it's going to change how you think. It's going to change your life. It's going to affect you spiritually. And then we got a little bit smart as Christians. You understand? We got a little bit smart. We say, well, that's a bit ridiculous. It's got nothing to do with the television. It's about what you watch, isn't it? And then 40 years later, we are watching all of the rubbish that's on television. And we are being affected in our minds and in our hearts. We are being affected in our values. Our values are eroding. And not only our values are eroding, so is our behaviour. The Bible says we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. We need to be careful that the world doesn't come into us. How do we do that? It's this constant tension of assessing and reassessing. And, and you know, the new fashion comes out. And before we just take on board the new fashion, we say, what does the Bible say about that? As the new fad comes out in our society, we don't just take on board the new fad. I've got no problems with fads. I'm all over that stuff. But the first thing we do is we say, what does the Bible say about the new fad? Because as Christians, we are called to live counterculturally. Amen. Can I hear a little amen? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? It's amazing. It's just fantastic. If we're going to make a difference in the world, then we've got to live differently. Then there's something that's going to be different about us. We're not called to just be passive about the culture we're living in. We're called to change the culture that we're living in. Third principle, for to develop financial margin in our lives, I'm running out of time. We need to honour the kingdom first principle. There's a principle right throughout Scripture. It says if you put God first, you'll have more. We talked about this over the last couple of weeks. You'll have more margin. It'll go well with you. Nowhere is this more true than in the area of finance. The Bible says, honour the Lord with the wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled with overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. 
So back in the Old Testament, when the people harvested their crops, they were to bring the tithe into the temple. Why, 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 why did God say, this is what I want you to do? They would harvest, they would take a tenth of it, they would bring it into the temple. There were so many reasons. It was to remind her that everything they had came from God. It was a reminder. It was a reminder. That, okay, I've harvested this and it's kind of what I've done, but ultimately this comes from God. It was a reminder that He's the source of wealth. That ultimately, if I'm blessed in any kind of way, it's because God has blessed me, not because of how smart or intelligent I am. And it was a protection against becoming proud and it was a protection against becoming selfish. And so we gave the first 10% away for the sake of the kingdom. If we want to break the power of money, if we want to, if we want to live counter-contrary, the best way to do that, let me tell you what the secret is. Let me tell you what the key is to break the power of money and to live counter-culturally. I tell you what it is. It's really simple. Learn to give. Every time we give, we live counterculturally. The world that we're living in says, get as much as you can and can as much as you get. And every time we give, we break that. We say, you know what? I don't agree with that theory. I don't, I, I don't, I don't agree with that mindset that says, get as much as you can for yourself. I don't agree with it and I'm not going to live that way. Instead, I'm going to give. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You will be happier when you give than when you receive. That's a principle that is true. It doesn't matter who you are. And more and more people in the world are understanding the reality of that statement. Why is there so much philanthropy work happening all around the world? Because people are understanding it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. When we give, it reminds us that God is the source of our wealth, not our hard work. It protects us from becoming proud. It delivers us from selfishness as we put others first. When we give, we choose heaven as a place where we put our treasure. We choose to invest in the kingdom of God and his purposes. And the byproduct of that is we experience joy. And God is saying, put me first. You're giving and watch what I will do. It's a recognition. It's an understanding that God is the source of all my wealth. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the flood. It's a promise from God and says, see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. That's the promise of God. God is saying, you test me. You test me one thing. He says, the test me. You test me in the area of the time. And you watch what I will do with your life. You watch what I will do with your life. Most of all, the tithe is not, it's not God in heaven going, gee, how, how are we doing? He's not saying to Gabriel, Gabriel, bring me the profit and loss. Let me have a look at how we're doing today. You know, God, God is not like worried about, oh, we, oh we, we're spending too much. We've got to cut back. We've got to cut back. God, God, God doesn't need our money. And I thank God because I can say this with confidence. That our church doesn't need the money. Whatever comes into the church, we use for the kingdom of God and we use it as wisely as we possibly can. If there's less, we use less. It's pretty simple. I'm not worried about this. It's God's church. We as a church will decide how healthy this church is in every aspect, including the financial area. And God, God says, listen, 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 you, 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 you give this tithe and, 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 and I'll, I'll bless you in ways that you could never imagine. People say, that, people say, oh, but if I give 10%, then I've got 10% less. You, you haven't understood the concept of Scripture. You haven't, understood the, you haven't understood the power of this blessing because with one, with one decision, God can bless you in, in so many ways. And I, I could tell you in my own life, 
How many times? How many times? God has, God has, God has blessed me. I remember we were, were looking for a house, the next house. Where are we going to buy? What are we going to do? I don't know. But I was stressed. I was stressed. I was stressed. And anyway, this block ended up just by chance. I think it was the favor of God. We found this block. It was the right prize. I was stressing, stressing and praying and praying and saying, God, what's happening? You know, the price, the market was going up and up and up and our money was getting less and less worth. And Anyway, we ended up finding this house. Was that, was that because I was smart or was that the favor of God? It's the favor of God. When we put God, it's, it's not so much about the money. It's about putting God first. It's about recognition that God is in control, that God is the source of everything that we have. And it's saying, you know what, God, I'm not only going to give you the first day of the week, I'm going to give you the first part of my tithe. I'm going to give it to you because I recognize that you're the author and the provider of everything that we have. I remember one time, uh, I've, I've said this story years ago, but uh, I remember the kids were small, go to Mecca's, you know, have a, have a meal, have a, you know, a Macca's meal, you know, they get the meal. And the kids are having some fries or whatever. And I said to one of them, I can't remember which one it was exactly. Anyway, uh, I said to one of them, can I have some fries? And they go, no, they're mine. <laughs> mm. Driving in my car, sleeping in my house, eating my food. Wearing clothes that I pay for every single week. And these fries are mine, that I just paid for them. And these fries are mine. How many of us do that with God every single week? How many of us do that with God every single week? He gives us the breath, He gives us the jobs that we have, He gives us health, He blesses us in ways that we could never imagine. And we say, you know what, this is mine. <laughs> really? It's yours. It belongs to him. And, and it's, it, God, God isn't going, oh, gee, I need it. He doesn't need it. We don't need it. It's not about other people. It's about you being blessed. This promise is about the blessing on you. It's not the blessing on someone else. It's, Richard Swenson says this, all margins ought first to honor God. All margins ought to be made available for the purposes of his kingdom. Money belongs to God. Wealth belongs to God. The kingdom belongs to God. We belong to God. Margin belongs to God. Only the choice belongs to us. Number four, I've really run out of time. But anyway, our fourth principle comes from an old saying that says, live within your harvest or live within your means. People often ask the question, how do I know if I'm, if I'm overcommitting myself financially? My response is pretty simple. If you can't live with 80% of your income, then you've overcommitted yourself. You're living on the edge financially. Good biblical wisdom regarding finances. Give, listen carefully. It's a principle that comes right out of Scripture. It's not Joe Leone. It's, a script, it's principles out of Scripture. Give the first 10% to the Lord. Bring that into the house of God. Then save the next 10%. Put it in a high interest investment of some sort. Read secular books on, on how to handle your money. They're going to tell you this stuff. They won't tell you give 10% to... to to the church but I will say give it away put it in a high interest savings account of some description and then learn to live on 80% of your income do a budget how much money are we getting how much if you're not living on 80% something's wrong learn to live within your harvest or live within your means would be a better way in the movie All the Money in the World Paul Getty who is the richest man on earth 
He's asked the question. He's a multi-billionaire and he's asked the question, how much money is enough? What was his answer? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Question, question to you and me this morning. Come on, let's really be honest. Let's bring this right home. How much money is enough for you and me? Just a little bit more. We just, we just need just a little bit more. Spoke last week about the valiant. How when the wheels, the blessed valiant. How when the wheels are misaligned, it would pull to the left or to the right. We need to understand that there's a pull in our hearts towards greed, possessions, more. There's a pull in our hearts to having more and more and more. And ultimately, if we're going to win the battle regarding finance, we need to deal with our hearts. We can cut up the credit cards, have a budget, reduce spending, and all of that's great. But ultimately, the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. If we need to deal with this, we just got to deal with our hearts. How do we do that? There's really only one way. And that is by heeding the words of Jesus who said, come to me, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. I read a scripture last night. Uh, Version Bible app was the scripture of the day. Isaiah 55.1, come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? What a great scripture. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come and listen to me that you may live. It's an invitation by God. He's saying, just, just listen. Do life my way and you will find life. The greatest thing that we can do is give our lives to Jesus Christ. When we give, accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, it's like our hearts are transformed. Our desires and ambitions no longer have any power of us. And we get a vision of eternity. We start to see our lives, not from the here and now. We start to get a glimpse of eternity and eternity becomes our focus rather than the here and now. I pray that God would give us the grace, all of us, to develop margin in the area of finance in our lives. Would you stand with me? Father, thank you for your word. Father, we know the incredible good that money can do. Incredible good that it can do. But we also know the incredible evil that that it can do. Now, when it grabs a hold of our hearts, Lord God, we, it can destroy our lives. Help us, Father, to get our right perspective of finance. Pray for every individual here that as we walk away from church, that you, by the Holy Spirit, would speak into our hearts and lives and that this word would become a reality. Father, Your desire for us is not to make us miserable, but to enjoy life, to enjoy the blessing of God, to enjoy the 90%. It's your will for us. Help us to get a right perspective and help us to live counterculturally, Lord God. Help us to live with our eyes open 
so that we see our lives and we see the world from your perspective, I pray, Lord God, so that we can be everything that you've called us to be. This is our prayer. And we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, God bless you. You have an awesome week in Jesus' name.